Hello, I'm Luke. Hiya, I'm Dave, and welcome back to the Unbelievable Meat podcast. Uh, this is our unofficial Christmas party. There's only two yeah. attendees, but we've got lots of cheese and wine. So, And we are yeah. definitely socially distanced because uh, there is the majority of England and the uh, the channel between us. So, Yeah, and about <laughs> half of the Netherlands, so... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we are we are not in snogging distance. What we do have for you tonight, though, is a film and TV eleven. Yes. Um. So yeah, yeah let's get rolling. It's coming up, coming up, coming up to Christmas. So uh, there's lots of films on TV at the moment. Um, I'll start things off. I'll go with uh, Laurel and Vardy up front. Oh, very nice. Uh, I'm going to go a bit niche, but I'll stay with strikers. I've gone with Hamilton Pixard. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, I'm going to go with a bit of a retro player here. Chris Kamara lights action. Fantastic. Lovely stuff. Uh, David Dune. <laughs> yes, topical, mate. New Dune film. Uh, yeah. Dune film out. Um, One of the few times that David Dunn will ever be referred to as topical. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, I'm going to go keep it simple, mate. Just just one word here. Oscar. Remember him? Yep, certainly do for Chelsea. Um, yeah. Granite, Granite Joker. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that works. Yeah, I'll give you just that. Just about. Let me have that. <laughs> Um, right, what else have we got here? We've got for for a team, we can have uh, Nottingham Forest Gump. Yeah, I like it. And I've got one of yours here for the manager, Graham Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. <laughs> good yeah. work. Yeah. I am. Um, uh, this is going to get thrown out for being too tenuous, but I want to submit Wilfred Zaharface. No, that works. We can have that if we're if we're having uh, granite granite choker. Yes, yeah, yeah, we can have that. I am um, when I when I was in Slovenia, one of the Airbnbs I stayed at, the guy had a poster, a massive Scarface poster, but with his head on Tony Montana's. <laughs> I'll have to find brilliant. you a photo of it. Yeah. Brilliant. Oh, I like that. Uh, we've got um, we've got John Disney as well, but. I was thinking we could also have uh, Kevin Kevin Dis- Disney. You know, remember Kevin Lisby? Kevin Disney. Would you <laughs> would you go to Lisby World, which would be a Kevin Lisby <laughs> theme, theme park? Don't know. Yeah, yeah, I reckon that'd be alright. That Charlton related rides. Yeah, you would be Charlton as excited and... as that guy was who you were at school with, who played five or side with Alan Kirby. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, be loving it. Oh, that was excellent. That never forget that when he had a, it. Basically, had a breakdown, started crying about it. <laughs> the streets won't forget playing five or side at the Millennium Dome with Alan Kirby. Curbsy with curbs. I uh, I've got <laughs> Florence Cinema Pongo. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, got Harry Fame, Harry Kane. Yeah, I can see. Harry Kane also looks like the kind of guy who would be cast in a school musical. <laughs> High school musical. And I've got Bafta Timby Gomez. <laughs> yeah. The uh, what was it? What was his nickname? 
Uh, I can't remember now. He used to do that like lion thing, didn't he? When did he you know that? Uh, did you know that Grant Holt's nickname was the horse? The horse. Just because he had a huge dick. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Uh, I don't think we've got any more, have we? No. Um, talking of, um, if we can move on to weird news, there has been a lot of weird news recently. Yeah, I can't remember has. another episode where we've had so much to uh, to choose from. So going from <laughs> a man with a very long appendage to a man who sadly no longer has one, uh, yeah. you may have seen this story from, of course, it was from America. Man cuts off penis and throws it out of car during police chase. I've got to say, I the first my first reaction with this really was, what an incredible piece of money. You don't get enough multitasking units, do you? Well, they always say that uh, men can't multitask, but <laughs> he's uh, it, he's done the lot there. Yeah, I mean, incredible work to outrun the police whilst also not only removing his own penis, but removing it and throwing it out of the window. What was seemingly the... Uh... Without losing control. It's, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't recommend it, but it's if you're gonna do it, he's done it quite well. Why would you do that? Why would you lose your knob? I mean, I've heard of people chucking out like drugs out of car window and stuff when they're uh, on the run. I've never heard of someone quickly trying to dispose of their knob. Maybe it's like one of those fake penises, like the one Maradona used to do his drugs tests. Maybe it just raped someone and he was trying to get rid of the evidence or something. Bloody hell, this, this show got dark. We're only about three minutes in. Um, but anyway, yeah, this this man cut his manhood off. Um, yeah, don't Brilliant. don't try that at home, as I used to say. No, no, definitely not. But, uh, yeah, it would have had to have been a bit of a bodge job as well if he's driving at the same time. Yeah. Do you remember the John Wayne Bobbitt saga? When uh, he had that wife, Lorena Bobbitt, and she cut his willy off in the middle of the night and threw it away. And the police had no. to go and um, the police had to go and recover it. But once the policeman trod on the penis, yeah. they ended up managing to um, attach it anyway. And he starred in a porn film. What an incredible That's right. life! He's. I yeah. mean, there must be an Oscar-winning biopic about him in was the it, next few years. Was it a Frankenstein-themed porn film? Where he had his knob stitched yeah, back ba- on. Yeah, basically, yes, I believe so. Brilliant. Um, I, uh, when you said that to start with, I totally forgot we'd already covered that story and uh, I should have known the name. But uh, when you first said that, I thought you literally meant John Wayne. That had his cut, cut, cut off. <laughs> Some sort of like mental Hollywood feud. <laughs> yeah. Kirk, Kirk Douglas lobbed. John Wayne's John top Wayne's off when cock. they were filming a, a western. It's one of the lesser-known Hollywood stories. It's, it's almost like one of them uh, tongue twisters, like Ken Dodd's dad's dog's dead. Kurt Douglas is chopped off John Wayne's knob. <laughs> yeah. If you're listening, yeah. let us know if you have ever chopped off your own knob or someone else's. Yeah. Remember I mean, that? Again, uh, we wouldn't recommend it, but if you've already done it, we would be interested to hear about it. About it before, but remember that German bloke volunteered his name? Oh, Arwin Muse, yeah. Um, <laughs> he, he, 
I can't remember whether he was the eater or the other guy was the eater. God, we're going like we're going full in on this show. We're already talking didn't about he, uh, Yeah, I'd like to think. I mean, in my head, he put an ad in the free ads, but I'm sure I, the true I just story wouldn't is like on, to uh, think. I just wouldn't like to think about it at all, to be honest. Oh, fair enough, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, apparently that it was. Uh, didn't one of the guys complain it was too chewy and he gave up? Yeah, on it. Grizzly. Yeah, he gave up, oh. and, he, and then he, the other guy donated it. Got annoyed that he donated it to be left over. You know, like say in Japan, if you don't clear your plate, it's uh, it's an insult. It's a bit like that. This bloke got insulted because he didn't finish his knob off. <laughs> you would be if you went to all that effort and then the person. Oh yeah, he'd be well guided. It's be it'd be worse than like I don't know being told you was rubbish in bed because he and knob. You imagine that. It's like oh yeah, he's uh, you've been re- you've been that's the height of rejection. Someone's asked for your knob to eat. And they've uh, yeah. It's not. It's not it. even like you get it back at the end of the experience. It's, it's no, gone. it's gone forever. It's like donating a kidney, and then the person you donate a kidney to going, oh, not even sending your thank you card or something. Yeah, if you do, if someone does donate a kidney to you, please do send them a thank you card. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a nice thing or, to do. Uh, and if someone does donate their knob to you, please do clear your plate. Yeah. <laughs> You heard it here first. <laughs> oh well, um, well, we we said we got lots of uh, weird stories. What was that um, story that we was talking about? Uh, was it uh, <laughs> Richard May- Richard Madeley? Yeah, daughter. Chloe Ma- Chloe Madeley ended up in <laughs> hospital from eating too much camembert at Christmas. Superb, mate. What? What? Uh, I mean, I didn't I'm, read the full story because, to be honest, I was just too busy laughing at the headline. But what? What are the effects of too much uh, camembert? What happened to her? I think she had like a. Apparently, I think she had like a massive stomach ache and couldn't move and had to go to hospital. That's just called being to- full up. To be honest, I have quite often a number of times in my life I would say I've ate enough food that you could legitimately have taken me to hospital to get my stomach what, pumped to Vindaloo or something. What are they gonna do? I mean, do you know that happened to my uncle once actually, remembering that. Uh I don't really know what happened with him because no one ever really told me, but all I know is that he went into hospital. And uh, when I asked my mum about it, she was just like, oh, yeah, his stomach's gone hard. And I was like, oh, it's because he's eaten too much. And I think the same thing happened to him. I think he'd eaten too much, like, close to being gone off stuff from the reduced aisle in Tesco or something. And uh, it obviously, like, took a funny turn, and he ended up in hospital. don't know what they'd done to him. don't know whether they pumped his guts or whatever. But, uh, yeah. I mean, I've already... I've already made enough shameful revelations on this show, so I might as well make one more. I once ate, because uh, I got the date wrong, and I thought it was a day out, an eight-day... I got... Yeah, I think it was eight days out in the end, a uh, prawn lasagna ready meal. Oh, and my I God. Cooked, I, not only that, I, I microwaved it at work. Oh. Um, yeah, I know. I'm 
even eating that in date sounds disgusting. Prawn lasagna. No, it wasn't. It, prawn risotto. Sorry, it was a prawn risotto. But uh, it was sorry, a. It was. was it was a. It was eight days out. Um, and it Jesus. smelled when it was ready, and I was just like, "Well, I put it in the microwave. I probably annoyed everyone by cooking it, and it smells. I'm just going to eat it." And afterwards, I had like lumps on my arm the next day. I think because oh. it made me ill. But yeah, it's, don't eat anything that is eight days out of date. Not Definitely good. not uh, not shellfish. I've had a, I had a similar thing. It's the only time I've ever had food poisoning. But I uh, I went to Asda years ago and I brought a packet. It was on like you know like they have the fish counter at Asda, didn't they? It was in like one of them brown paper bags that they put them into the fish. But there was a packet of uh, scallops. The I only things they, they ever uh, the only things they ever put in a brown paper bag at the supermarket is. Porn mags and fish. Yeah. So you can be yeah, sure that well, someone is buying one, the other, or both. Yeah, this this well, this didn't have the uh happy ending that a porn mag might have brought me, I tell you. This uh so I brought scallops and like but it was at the end of the day, so they've been like bagged up. Maybe someone had brought them and then decided they didn't want them or whatever. But uh Ugh. I brought them, they were reduced, and I thought, ah, oh, no one else really in my house eats seafood, so I thought oh, I'll have them. I didn't realise quite how many there was in there, in the bag. There was about 20 of them. So uh, I thought there was only about like four. So I brought some salmon with it as well that was also reduced. Cooked it all up and uh, found out that I've got some sort of allergy to cook salmon now. Uh, I think I have anyway, because every time I eat it, I feel really unwell. But for the next day, I couldn't move. I I had about uh, 20 scallops. Uh, and uh, two like fillets of salmon that I cooked up, and they were all like borderline going off from Asda. Uh, yeah, I necked a lot. Thought, oh, this is really nice. Et it all. Just the idea then... of you necking a salmon fillet, <laughs> stuffing yeah. it in, in one go. <laughs> like pingu. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I, um, at that, and then all these scallops, and oh man, the next day I just felt so unwell. If Seriously were, unwell. If you were forced to at gunpoint, how many scallops do you reckon you could eat? Uh, don't know. I reckon I'd try and copy that um, that scene in Call Hand Luke where he's eating the eggs. Oh yeah, good point. Do that with uh, with scallops. Just see how many I could get down me. Yeah, it's, it's for, a good tactic. Go for a world record. Yeah, I mean, probably. I, I, the record maybe isn't that high because I don't really know how many people have ever yeah, they're quite rich. tried to eat a lot scallops. of scallops. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you could probably eat like five and get in the book. Get in the book, maybe. I'll have to yeah. have a look at that after this. Might be a live episode that we can do. Why scallops live on air? That'll be on the Patreon. You've got you got pay you've got paid to see Luke neck a load of yeah, scallops. I'll do a video video one and then watch me throw up afterwards. But they have to be eight days out of date, like the prawn risotto. Um, <laughs> there was a talking of food news. Um, you may have seen this, uh, Luke, in my adopted homeland. Dutch police called over suspicious gun. Turns out it's made of chocolate. This Brilliant. was a lovely stuff. So 
this was on Sinterklaas, which is like basically the Dutch version of Christmas when kids get their gifts and everything. Um, on a giant Limburg street, this is in Maastricht, an unassuming neighbor found a suspicious package placed on his front door and alarmed the police. After closer inspection, however, turned out to be nothing more than a gun made of chocolate. Uh, basically, it's a thing here that on Sinterklaas, you get like a chocolate letter with the first letter of your name in. And apparently there was yeah. like a bit of a furore this year because all the supermarkets ran out of G's. I don't know why. Brilliant. Um, but yeah, somebody obviously really properly Gert, went for it. Gert and they, Wilders. Gert Wilders would be up. fuming. Um, <laughs> but anyway, someone, yeah, got a chocolate gun and chocolate ammo. So that is that's quite good work. Um, yeah, the guy saw it, I think, at the end of his driveway and called the police and said, I don't know why he would think that, because that, it was in a box, a, like a clear yeah. plastic box. I don't know yeah. why nobody ever really puts their gun back away in the box, but then abandons it. Um, no, it's a bit of an odd thing to do. I saw the picture, though, but it does look uh, does look pretty good, doesn't it? It does, you know, if you was just to look at it. You could potentially mistake that for a real gun. What I would do is, someone tried to hold me up at gunpoint, I would just bite the end of the gun because it's probably <laughs> not going to cause you that much damage, and you might find out it's made of delicious chocolate. Yeah, you could, do, or you could uh, copy that Wing Chun master. What was his name? Uh, I can't remember what his name is now. He does like he does like online tutorials for Wing Chun, and uh, he's showing you how to get out of someone holding a gun up in your face. And he gets him in a headlock and he's going, oh, and you redirect the gun and you can shoot their ball bag off. <laughs> that's like, that's his advice. And uh, yeah, people pay him for that online lesson. That might have to be my new career. I could <laughs> get paid to tell you to shoot someone's ball bag off. You're but then right again, there. he probably has like actual tactics, whereas I'm just like, shoot the guy in the nuts. You, no, you want to be, uh, if you're held up at gunpoint, just bite the gun. Bite the gun, yeah. <laughs> and either it's made out of chocolate or it's not, in which case you're fucked. But you probably yeah. would have been fucked anyway. So either and way, any, you're still going down. Who, as, uh, yeah. 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 Being a legend of biting a gun. I remember there was a great Croydon advertiser headline one time, which was, uh, oh yeah, what was it? Accused says to judge, suck your mum, rude boy, which Brilliant. must be the best, best thing ever uttered in a court. And it's one of those, you oh. know, when they have like the newspaper sheets outside the news agents where they've got like the board and yeah. the sheet with like the headline handwritten on. That was yeah, it. Yeah. Accu accused to judge, suck your mum, rude boy. Brilliant. I, uh, I remember we saw one of them in uh, Plymouth once. And it said, uh, so Plymouth Argyle used to have a, a player called Onzamur Becerra. And right. uh, it was just outside of one of the news agents once. And it just says, Becerra on trial in Turkey. And uh, Mrs. goes, oh, I wonder what he's done. wonder what, what crime <laughs> he's done out in Turkey. I was like, no, he's on trial. He's, uh, he's trying to join another club. <laughs> That that is a crime in the eyes of some fans. Well, yeah, ditching uh, ditching Argyle for uh, Turkish club. Talking of uh, ditching Argyle, we were talking about it in the week. Bit weird that uh, Ryan Lowe's just sort of left them in the middle of a promotion charge. 
He's going to Preston, he's going hasn't up. he? So yeah. yeah, it's a bit closer to home, but uh, a bit of a weird one, isn't it? I mean, he's been yeah. there a couple of years now, so he's like say, built something. I was saying to you, if he ends up being the guy who gets Argyle back up to the championship, that's a massive yeah. thing to have on your CV. I don't, and it looked like they were going to go up, so yeah, yeah. surely, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe you get them up, and then someone bigger than Preston might come in for you. Yeah, or at least, uh, you know, get them a trip to Wembley, bit of a, a play, a little bit of a playoff run. You know, even if you don't quite make it, because there are some other teams in that league that are sort of pressing on now. And, and I think I've, I've slipped down to sixth, maybe, maybe gone up to fifth. I'm not sure. I don't. Um, I think they were higher before he left. I think they've had a couple of defeats in quick succession. Yeah, yeah. I know they. Uh, I think they drew the other night. Um, but yeah, and it's just a bit of a, a weird thing that he's uh, that he's done, really. I mean, he's built the club up from when Derek Adams left, uh, when they got promoted up into League One. Uh, he sort of the way he come down when Bury went uh, went under, and he brought a load of their players with him. Yeah, they so, basically had half the team from Bury, yeah, including yeah. Schumacher, who's now taken over. Yeah, yeah, not Michael. Um, no. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a just a weird thing. And I know, like, like you say, like, yeah, Preston's closer to his home because I think he's from like Liverpool or up in that area. Um, but Preston, it's it's not even at the bus station now. They tore it down. That was the oh. most famous thing about Preston, apart from maybe See? Tom Finney, and he's Plymouth, not there Plymouth's either. Got- Plymouth's got a massive bus station, mate. So, you know, he's, uh, and it's got the hoe. The hoe, yeah, um, all sorts yeah. of stuff. Yeah, so uh, I don't know. It's just a weird one. And like you say, Preston, Preston don't even really look like they're going to go on a promotion charge to the Premiership, do they? So, just a bit of a weird, weird situation. That. But, uh, we shall see. Yeah. Uh, talking of tonight, you know, he scored two first half goals, Luke. It was Jeez Hornkamp. Really. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. He's been jizzing he, uh, all over uh, Rhoda JC today. Jizzing all over the world. New status quo song. Is he... Oh, uh, I'd listen to that. Yeah. Is, is he... Is he, He's at Denbosh, is he? He certainly is, yeah. What yeah. did I read the other day? I can't remember where it was. I was, I was going through just like reading uh, like owners of clubs and stuff. And there's a, a bloke who owns... He owns an English club and Denbosh. And it might be Hull, mm. the owner of Hull. Might be someone mm. like that. But there's, there's, uh, there is like a bloke who he owns Denbosch, an English team, uh, some team in South America. It's like a bloke who just owns a load of clubs. I can't remember. I don't, I don't think that should be allowed. But also, if I had loads of money, that's probably what I'd do. Yeah. Oh no. Uh, does it? Is it Denbosch? Yeah, he owns Denbosch, a, a Belgian, a Belgian team, I think it is, uh, and some team in like one of the lower leagues in England. It's not Roland de Châtelet, is it? Because he owns Standard Liège and Charlton. I don't uh, think he does anymore. No, no, it's not not him because Charlton have Charlton have recently been sold, didn't they? I'll, I'll let gonna, you know after this. I'm going to have a look now at who owns FC Denbosch. Yeah. Let's see. 
yeah, have a little look and see what other clubs he owns. But like you say, I think it should be illegal because uh, it annoys me when there's like the City Group that own all of those teams and just and like Red Bull that buy teams and just change yeah, their and it's, identity. It's, it's dodgy as well. Like one Watford yeah. had all those players on loan from Granada that they would never have been able to get hold of if they yeah. hadn't been owned by the same people. Fucking shady. Yeah. And I mean, some stuff like stuff like when Vitessa had all the loanies from Chelsea, stuff like that's a bit yeah. dodgy because the guy was best mates with Roman Abramovich. But that's like, yeah, yeah. to an extent, that's how business works and that's kind of how football works. But when it's the same dude who owns yeah, when it's the same clubs, owner. that's very shady. Yeah. You're, you're essentially finding a loophole in financial fair play, aren't you? Because you can use it's, the team. It's, well, it's basically insider trading if you're swapping yeah. players between different clubs yourself. Yeah. yeah. Did you find out who, who, who owns him? Who, who is yeah. Who um, other clubs does he own? There, sadly, there was no click through to him, so oh. doesn't seem to have a Wikipedia profile, but he is called oh. Van Mecklenburg. So, yeah. Oh, Mecklenburg. Oh, I can't remember. It might be someone. Oh, like... this is it. One of their owners among... Ah, he's a chairman. One of the owners is Chien Lee. The guy That's called, it. And apparently, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. He is the biggest Burn, shareholder in Barnsley, yeah, SC Toon, Ostend, Nancy, Ebsbjerg, and FC Den Bosch. And he is apparently the co-founder of Seven Days In, which is a Chinese budget hotel company. They Brilliant. look like... But they have seem to have stolen their logo from 7-Eleven, uh, unless they are actually like <laughs> a subsidiary. Yeah, they look to basically be like Shanghai's answer to Premier Inn. Brilliant. Well, I wonder if they have a Chinese Ainsley Harriet. Oh, yeah, they're bound to. Well, that's not Ainsley Harriet, it's Lenny Emery. <laughs> oh, shit, yeah. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get cancelled. Uh, uh, oh, oh, no. Well, I reckon, uh, I'm gonna have to do a, me... a, a crying press conference from my doorstep. Oh, yes. Resigning sorry, we... from unbelievable meat, um, yeah, and I'm you sorry. will have to find a new new co-host. I've just sacrificed my one hundred and twenty thousand pound a year but uh, salary from unbelievable meat. Yeah, I've uh, yeah, it'd be interesting. I wonder if you're a Barnsley season ticket holder, you get discounted stays, thirty quid a night in Shanghai. I get. I mean, if you are a Barnsley season ticket holder who goes to China, and you're like, yeah, yeah, you probably would, but they'd probably be like quite confused to have someone from Barnsley anyway. I don't know. Going over I just, to I, Shanghai I, for a holiday. I don't. I mean, somebody. There must be some people from Barnsley who've been to China. There must be. Probably Let Chinese takeaways in Barnsley. Are you? Are you listening? Are you from Barnsley? And if so. Have you been to China? And if you have, have you been, been to, to China, did you stay at a seven days in hotel? Yeah, yeah, right, right into the usual place and let us know. Yep, you can find us on Twitter or basically just that. Or you yeah, can just or, write, uh, write to us at home. If you want to give us a handwritten note about your stay in China and what it was like growing up in Barnsley. Can let us know. Pigeon. Yeah. Uh, um, well, they, they have uh, a lot of those in Yorkshire. Like, remember Kez? That was in yeah, Barnsley, yeah. wasn't it? He was basically yeah, yeah. a big, a big pigeon. Kez somewhere up there, wasn't it? 
yeah, Kez yeah. the Kestrel. But yeah, there was uh, is they love a racing pigeon, didn't they? What's that film? There is a film about a racing pigeon. That's uh, I, know, I know that Duncan sort of Ferguson like. used to have racing pigeons. I believe that he won't shot one because it lost him a race. I'd have Brilliant. to check if that's true, but I believe he has, he won't shot one of his racing bit pigeons. Of li- bit of libelous there. Imagine that case. Yeah, it'd be <laughs> Bath City all over again. Oh yeah. My uh you know, Mike Tyson has got racing pigeons. Has he? Yeah. When he was, young, no. when he was younger, he, he used to keep him in Avery's on top of flat blocks in uh, Catskill, New York. And he's like Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson seems like the kind of man who would race pigeons. If I had to guess, which which famous people do you think also? Who else do you think likes racing pigeons? I reckon Vinnie Jones races pigeons. I reckon. Uh, trying to think, Fred Dibner. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, or, I could see Fred Dibner. Well, Fred Dibner is no longer with us, is he? But he probably well, he raced. Raced pigeons, and uh, yeah. I reckon uh, someone that I want to talk about, Neil Warnock. I reckon he'd be into racing pigeons. I reckon Vernon Kay loves them. I reckon he's Vern always Kay. racing pigeons. You reckon? Yeah. yeah, I reckon. Oh yeah, he's probably got an Avery somewhere in Bowen. Yeah. <laughs> if he did, uh, I would definitely visit. I'd definitely visit Vernon Kay's aviary in Bolton. Yeah. Well. Vernon Kay, if you're listening, again, write in. <laughs> and we also know a cracking owl sanctuary. Yeah, yes. Yeah, we can get you set up, mate. No problems. <laughs> um, talking of, uh, well, I've talked briefly about him there, but Neil Warnock, I've been uh, been listening to his book, audio book, The Gaffer, and uh, it's probably, it's instantly my favourite new favourite uh, football-related book. Oof, that's a big shout. Yeah, it's uh, it's brilliant, mate. I mean, has it, it helps massively that it's narrated by him. Has it changed your opinion of Neil Warnock? Massively. Yeah, mm. I, uh, I thought, uh, and I suppose to a degree still is, so maybe it's changed my opinion on all of these people that I sort of used to lump him in with, but I used to think he was um, a bit of a dinosaur uh, and was sort of in that category of like Allardyce and Pulis and yeah, Bruce, yeah. And sort of, yeah, yeah, that sort of like, uh, you know, backs to the wall, boring, anything to get a couple of points, football. Um, Hard old men in tracksuits, basically. Yeah. Yeah, and their views on things are a bit outdated. But actually, uh, this book, it almost makes you realise that that style of football at that level of club is a necessity in a way. They are capable of playing different types of football. Uh, so, like, listening to, to Warnock talk in this book, he, he's talking about the resources that are available to him and the pressures that they've got of, like, Basically, when he, especially when he was at like QPR, owners that just totally didn't understand football and really like expecting stuff that they were never going to get. So like, yeah. um, he was get it's, it's you know telling him not to spend. I think it was like uh, 
I'm trying to think of a player now that he, that he was trying to get at QPR. But so, for instance, Clint you know, just using, Hill, I think he yeah, was an example, there. something like that. Or I think it was someone that he was trying to get. So, like, they said, look, we're not going to spend one and a half million quid on DJ Campbell. But then the chairman's offering him Matarazzi for like 15 million quid. And he's like, well, one, I don't want him because he's never fit. And two, if we're not paying one and a half million for someone who's going to get us 12, 15 goals in the championship, why are you offering me, you know, why are you offering me a player that costs 15 million? It's just, it was just weird. Um, a whole weird setup at QPR. And uh, he got, was he it got that, up. Was it that Tony Fernandez guy who was in charge? Well, Tony good? Fernandez was the, um, he come in a lot later. So to start right. with, it was someone called, Amit and the other guy that was owning the club was called oh, I can't remember what his bloody name is now uh, but there was another guy that was owning the club basically when Neil Warnock was appointed Amit got on with Neil Warnock really well and sort of seemed to understand a little bit more about football and said like we're planning me and my dad are planning on buying the entire club uh, right. so the guy who the other guy who you're dealing with you don't really get on with won't be in the picture for much longer, but it never happened. Uh, and then it just sort of, he was dealing with this guy that he didn't really get on with for the majority of the time. And it was just, uh, yeah, not a great, not a great experience. I don't think, but then, you know, he <coughs> talks about um, his time at Crystal Palace and, uh, you know, a little bit about his time at Sheffield and stuff. And I think like the things that changed my opinions were, um, the way he sort of handled players like Adele Tarapt at QPR and stuff like that. You know, you think these sort of like older dinosaurs don't understand those more difficult sort of maybe modern foreign players. Mercurial sort of players, yeah. Yeah, yeah they, they sort of just like, right, if you don't do it my way, it's the highway sort of thing. But Warnock actually gave him a lot of time. You know, he was he was big trouble, Tarapt, uh, and he gave him a lot of time yeah. and he sort of re repaid him with goals and, and whatnot. Uh, and... You know, there's because Warnock's narrating the book, you can tell in his voice there's like a genuine sort of desire for him to want to help these players out and, and help them achieve stuff in their career. Whereas you don't always feel like that when you look at it from sort of outside. You look at like when you hear of like unsettled camps like Newcastle with Bruce and that recently and stuff, you don't realize that a lot of these managers genuinely do uh, sort of. Want, want the best for their players. It's not just, you know, especially lads that they've bought through from lower leagues and stuff like that. They just give you yeah. like a to totally different perspective on, uh, you know, the manager's relationship with players. Again, it might just be sort of specific to Warnock, but yeah, really, uh, it's like a massive eye opener of a book. That's really, that's that's really awesome. No, that's really interesting to hear. And when you were yeah. saying about like, um, kind of dinosaur style and kind of expectations. It is true. Like, if you look at, for example, the squad that, I don't know, Palace have and the squad that United have now, if they, yeah. they've beaten us something like three out of the last six meetings, if they went out and attacked and played lovely football in those games, they'd get picked off. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, of you course. Know, so you've so got to play to the strengths, haven't you? Yeah, you're not. You're not going if you've not got the caliber of players and anything like the budget to bring in the same caliber of players. You're not going to beat them in a battle of quality, high skilled football. You have to yeah. find the other areas you're going to win in, and that's why I kind of think like. People moan about like teams who score a lot and set pieces and things, and sometimes it's not nice to watch. They're you know, like West Brom a lot of the time. They've been in the Premier League, yeah. horrible to watch. Stoke, but it's well. yeah, it's basically it's finding where you can have an advantage. Are West yeah. Brom gonna score against United or City or Liverpool with a free flowing passing move, or are they gonna be better off targeting some laddies about six foot four? a tough centre-back who can ruffle up your strikers and yeah. maybe leap above everyone at a corner and nod one in. Of course. And that's why, you know, sometimes you're better off having the, the um, DJ Campbell than uh, Matarazzi. Also, yeah. that reminded me that um, 50 million on Matarazzi of when Leighton Orient were in League One and they were giving Fabio Barini 35 grand a week. Yeah. And that was it's like insane. eight years ago. So that would be yeah. more now. Yeah, not yeah, Barini, sorry, and Andrea De Sena, it was, sorry, Andrea De That's it, yeah, yeah. Well, saying that though, Barini, I think Barini was on similar at Sunderland in League One. Was he I'm still sure at was. Sunderland in League One? He might well have been. Yeah. Unless, unless, they, unless they was like at the bottom of the championship paying him that, and then he went to Milan when they got relegated again. Possibly. I think so. Sure he so. Yeah, like you say, yeah, mm. even that at the bottom of the championship for a player like that, it's just... Yeah, it's really interesting. You'd be so pissed off as well if you're any other player in that squad for Leighton Orient and you're probably getting, I don't know, would you maybe be getting two grand a week, 1,500 a week, something like that? Giving it your Uh, all every month. Still good money, yeah. And then Fabio Barini, sorry, I keep blaming Fabio Barini. Andrea (laughs) Bassena is there, uh, get his Boa Morte and Papa Bubidi off all over again. Um, (laughs) Andrea Bassena is there kind of, Rocking up to training half assed and getting thirty five grand a week, you'd be yeah. like it would it would make you perform less because you're just like, what the fuck am I it doing is, this? What, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, you know, I know like um, supposedly contracts are like private, aren't they? What players earn amongst each other are probably wow. private, but but if we know that they're earning that, the players have got they to know. certainly knowing the yeah. they must know in the dressing room. Yeah, they've got um, an idea, haven't they? But yeah, no, it's just a, just really interesting. Like you say, is it interesting what you say about teams like Palace beating United playing to playing a certain style? Um, you've got to look as well on the on the other way. It's like uh, you know the big teams playing a certain way and then getting beaten by these teams that are playing that sort of you know negative smash and grab style because that's what they've got the ability to play. And in a way. It's the manager of the team who's playing the less attractive football who's doing a better job because they have yeah, adapted, yeah. they've adapted to overcome the Their more weaknesses. quote unquote talented team, whereas yeah. a more talented team haven't adapted to Not kind of the, yeah, the game plan of the other team. I mean, that was one of the big problems with Solskjaer at United. I mean, it's something I've talked about enough, probably on the show anyway, but kind of going into games and when things weren't going right, just not having a plan B. Yeah. And sometimes just not even having a plan A. 
Um, yeah. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it? Like you say, you know, they've got that talented squad. They should be able to play in various different styles and, and ways to break other teams down. And I sometimes think that certain teams kind of see it as like a bit beneath them to do that. Yeah, but it's, change. you know, you've got to get a result. Yeah. Yeah, you want to win the champions, uh, win the championship. You've got to, uh, you know, not the league, the championship, but the league title, I should say. Yep. You want to win that title. You've got to play boring football some weekends. Very true. Right. Is there uh, any other stories you want to touch on, mate? Um, I probably go on a bit, but as we're talking books at the moment, I finished reading yeah. David Hartrick's book, um, Silver Linings, oh, yeah. about Bobby Robson's England. It's yeah. pretty good. The level of like information and sources from the time, from like newspapers and stories in the camp and everything, is really interesting. But what it doesn't yeah. have any of is interviews with like the players or people who are involved or the fans now it's all from like secondary sources so it's well done as a compendium it's well written you get quite a good overview of like how the press treated him very badly most of the time yeah Uh, what kind of style of football he liked to play how the fans reacted and kind of like the context of the fact there was a lot of trouble in the 80s and by the time of italian 90 it was getting a bit better but, like, yeah. you kind of, I don't know, there's nothing that new in it that you probably can't find anywhere else. So it's worth reading, but I was like, it's well written and it's well put together, but, like, with some decent interviews, it could have been, like, yeah. a great book. And in the end, it was just, like, a good book. Yeah. yeah. So an interesting the, period. It is. And a lot of the stuff we kind of think of as being fairly new about England in terms of like the tabloids basically going in on the players and the manager and calling mm. for people to be sacked and then massively overrating the team before tournaments. That's been going on since the days of Alf Ramsey. You know, there was yeah. calls to kind of get him sacked about three or four years after winning the World Cup. So this kind of like tabloid hyperbole, it's yeah. not really any different. They're trying to build them up and then break them down. It's not really changed at all in about 50 or 60 years. It's always been nah. part of the football landscape with England. It's just always been like that. It was. It's always what's sold. Yeah. Yeah, and like you say, you know, it's one of those things, isn't it? It's like uh, we're a bit like the, I suppose, like the Italians in the sense that we, you know, we love to buy the newspapers pizza. to read about football. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Pizza as well. But we'd have to buy the newspaper to read about football. The Italians do it in a different way. Their newspapers. Yeah. I mean, back Spain, their teams have, and... Spain have it as well with Marca, which is kind of yeah. like, it is also a bit like the English ones. Like when, <laughs> when a Barcelona Real have a bad result, there's always like some massive splash about like there was some huge furore after Real Madrid lost to Sheriff. I think they might even have done like a fully black front page or something. Brilliant. You know, something something absurd. Um, but yeah, yeah that, I think like Marca in Spain is uh, probably like the most similar in tone so like to the UK. Projector. And then in Port- Portugal, you have Abola as well. Yeah. Which is good. Um, so most yeah. countries have one. Yeah, good letter. Yeah. So a lot of their uh, lot of their their papers are like if they're coming up to a big clash with like an English team or whatever in, in Europe, they'll they'll like try and 
g the team on a little bit or you know like in in italy there'll be calls for the whole stadium to be singing for 90 minutes i think the the uh, gazetta put something out or one of the local papers in milan did when milan played liverpool recently in the champions league to like like you know get the atmosphere going because we're going to need it sort of thing but you don't really get that in the english football press uh you get a little bit of it but it's mainly like no i think you get tends it more to be in, sort of... i think you get it more in the punditry if you listen like the bt sport punditry when it's an english team against another european team it like the, the commentary yeah. will be like quite partisan but the papers tend to yeah they don't often be a bit more neutral yeah i mean definitely with like the the uh, national team the papers yeah. absolutely love ripping into the national team. Uh, they they like love building them up, and then the minute they have a bad result, or yeah. there's like some sort of they jump on off, it off field disagreement, or a player stumbling out of a nightclub, or whatever. Yeah, just, that's what I was going to say. They go for my... the jugular, don't they? Like, yeah. Again, it's always been the same, really. Yeah, I mean, it might be wrong, like the other countries and stuff, but it does feel like the English press is a lot more focused on players' private lives, uh, you know. Yeah, I, I, I think Britain has an obsession with... Because they're superstars. Celebrity sort of culture. Celebrity. And also, yeah. yeah, because of the money involved. I guess that's, yeah. that's different because, you know, 30 years ago, I mean, where I grew up um, in Poynton, um, in Manchester, basically, like, back when I was a kid in, like, the early 90s, a lot of the players lived round where I lived and they had like, they had nice houses. They had like, you know, a nice like detached, whatever, three or four bedroom house, but they just had like the house you would have if you were like a doctor or a bank manager or I don't know, you were a head teacher or something. They didn't have like a mansion. And this is guys we're talking about like, I don't know, Mark Hughes lived nearby, um, yeah. Schmeichel lived nearby, Nicky Butt lived about five minutes walk away. These guys had nice houses, but they weren't like, they weren't detached from the kinds of lives nah. that normal people were living. And so, A, there wasn't as much of this, like, you know, stuff you see, like, oh, Raheem Sterling's bought his mum a gold sink or whatever right. it was, the sun yeah, were yeah. going on about the other year. And partly also because... Like it just wasn't, they weren't really seen as much different. Like Nicky Butt used to go into the Farmer's Arms in Boynton, which is like one of the pubs, and have a few like beers and sometimes get a bit pissed. But it was just like, okay, well, he his job is he's a footballer. He's probably not earning vastly more than some of the other people in there. Yeah. He's just a bloke who's going out on a night off to have some beers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you often hear about it. I mean, especially going back to the 80s and like the late 70s oh, yeah. and stuff. And then, you Players know, it was a in. massive drinking culture. They used to go out yeah. to the traffic and stuff after training. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely yeah. died out now. I would say with like uh, modern players, you don't get many that go to the boozer now, do you? No, just Wayne Rooney. He's yeah. kind of... I don't know. I feel like everyone else is living vicariously through Wayne Rooney while he has affairs with women from Barrow and (laughs) drunk drives and smokes and whatever else Wayne Rooney's up to. Falling asleep, yeah. Yeah. In uh, in travel lodges. 
<laughs> what a legend. Premier yeah. Inns, of course, which are advertised by Lenny Henry and not Ainsley Harriet. Ainsley Harriet, or even Seven Day Inns. Yes, yeah, Seven uh, Day Inn in China. I wonder if Wayne Rooney yeah. has been to one of those, maybe. Yeah, he's gone there with his uh, Barnsley season had, ticket. We've, <laughs> we've had uh, pre-season games in China. Um, I remember yeah. the only hat-trick, here's a fun fact, the only hat-trick Ryan Gates ever scored for United was against Huangzhou Evergrande in pre-season. Really? Yeah, only time he scored Bloody three. Scored, scored two loads of times. That was his only hat-trick. And That's quite was a start, at, isn't it? Good start, yeah. And Rooney was there at the time, so I don't know. I imagine United were probably in like the Radisson or the Hilton, but maybe they were at the seven-day in. I don't know, trying to save a few quid on pre-season. Yeah. So they could... Buy more Chinese could have massages. been uh, could have been a pre prelude to the uh, the whole sort of uh, Fergie and Roy Keane debacle when they had a bust up about uh, where he was staying on on that preseason tour in Spain or wherever it was they went. Oh yeah. Oh, I thought you were <laughs> going to say a precursor to the Leicester City thing where they all had oh. that sex tape in Thailand. Oh god! And loads yeah. of the players got sacked. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Roy Keane just uh, going mental on loads of uh, Chinese prostitutes. That'd be quite funny, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think we'd all be quite intrigued by that. <laughs> oh, brilliant! Do you uh, have per- you got any more? Which, oh, sorry, which person on. from the world of Premier League football currently do you think is most likely to end up in a sex scandal next? I, re- I reckon Kevin De Bruyne looks like a CD man. Mm, let me just have a think. Well, mind you saying that, we're saying next. There's there's like current sex scandals. Yeah, at I don't the moment. I don't I don't mean like doing anything illegal. I mean like more what like about that, cold, uh, cold draw style. Well, was it ever released? Was it ever uh, discovered who that French player was that was crapping in people's mouths on video? I don't think so. Remember that got announced? French yeah. national French national player. And now it's, it's Paul Paul Pooper. Crap in my dick, mate. Did you see <laughs> that story a bit ago about the woman who plays for a PSG feminine? Yeah. Hired a hitman. Yeah, to injure her teammate a la Tonya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan. Yeah. Yeah. To basically hammer in the woman's ankles. And I think Mental. I can't remember what happened. I think the guy got cold feet and told the police or something. Got, got cold I, feet I, after. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they actually. <laughs> I don't think they actually went through with that. No, I think uh, yeah, she got found out and got arrested, didn't she? I think. Yeah. Absolutely mental, that isn't it? You'd uh, you'd only get a booking for that in the seventies. Yeah. What hiring a hitman to come hiring on and a take hitman someone to... out? I mean, that's basically like what Graham Sooners did himself. Yeah, Vinnie Jones. If you do it in the first five minutes, it's just a stern warning. Yeah, yeah. Hiring a hitman to come on and grab the opposition's armpit hairs when they lift them up from going down. That would be, <laughs> that would be a good like betting play market. I wish they had what? really what? niche stuff like that that would never happen. Like, I well, don't you know, could put a bet on the... or like. The kiosk to run out of hot dogs. Who, who I, um, was it? Uh, sorry, I don't... Like, uh, go on, go on, sorry. 
I don't know if I, and now if I mentioned this on the show last time, so apologies if I did, but when I went to watch um, Catherine Druids, um, who play in the, the Comedy Prem, the Welsh Prem, when I was back in September, they had an announcement over the tannoy during the game, bear in mind they were 2 nil down at this point, to say that they were serving chicken curry in the kiosk. <laughs> this was in the, mid, in the middle of play. It's about midway through the first half. They're 2-0 down. And there's an announcement to say this. I went, I went with my dad, and we both yeah. did a massive cheer when the chicken curry was announced. It's probably the to biggest fair, cheer of the day. We'll cheer it you would, up but it was just, just the fact they announced it over the tunnel during the match. Brilliant. Yeah, just to let you all know, chicken, chicken curry's curry. ready. Yeah. Oh, superb, that, isn't it? You only get that sort of stuff at like non-league or lower league stuff, didn't you? Absolutely. You're brilliant. <laughs> I was just just uh you saying about putting a bet on the weirdest like weird niche markets. Remember they was taking bets on that uh was it Sutton goalkeeper to eat a pie? To eat a pie, yeah. I actually I don't know how much I can talk about this on air, but basically I know somebody who was involved in setting up this stunt. What the pie um, the pie stunt? Yes, yeah. Oh, for a, a rival betting business to the one I worked for oh, at the time. And crikey. this guy, I knew him personally. Um, yes. But anyway. Yeah, he got a uh, goalkeeper got in trouble for that, didn't he? Certainly did, yeah. He got sacked by the club. Brilliant. To be fair, I think he was probably at the end of his contract, mate. Probably was. And he got a free pie. I'd get sacked for a free pie. I think that's a fair trade. Yeah, if you're about to leave in a week's time. Yeah, why, why not? not? Take, an, uh, take an early redundancy and get a free, free pie. Here was, um, I promised you a bit of bonus Eamon tonight, didn't I? Oh, yeah, go on. Possibly yeah, we'll finish, on, we'll finish of, on Eamon. Possibly um, in honour of his, his exciting move to GB News, of course. But yeah, here was the headline. Kim Marsh serenades Alex Ferguson at Eamon Holmes' 50th. So this was from <laughs> 2009. I'm going to send you this link now of Fergie with his arm around Kim Marsh's waist. Um, I don't know how I'd never seen this before now, but here you go. You're seeing this live. Brilliant. Right, let's have a look. Is, this, uh, is it the male, the male article, is it? Oh, yeah. Of course it yeah, is. Fergie, Fergie sat down, Kim Marsh on the mic, handling she's that got, mic like a pro. Yeah, she's got like a sort of... Would you, would you say it's a sparkly dress? And he's yeah. wearing a yeah, he's wearing a, a bow tie. Tux. Yeah, tux. He's got a tux on. He's loving it. Yeah. James Bond style. Uh, yeah. Christ. Apparently it was Eamon's birthday, but it says here Coronation Street star Kim Marshall was one of a clutch of stars to perform at Saturday's party and admitted that as a Man United fan, she was keen to impress Sir Alex. So there oh. you go. Showing her, her showing him her ball handling skills. I like yes, uh, quite possibly. I like the way Eamon's pulled out all the stops here. All the people he knows in showbiz. Fergie and Kim Marsh. And yeah. Kim's mum. There's a picture of yeah, well Kim's mum. Ruth Langsford, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Just having a look at the pictures here as we go through. The Premier League trophy was there, which She's... you can tell how long ago this was because we we won the league. 
so yeah. you can you can really date this in time. Oh wow! Although Welsh songstress Catherine Jenkins was unable to make the event, she sent Jeremy a special Carl's taped there. version. Oh what? Yeah, that's more down, mate. Jeremy Carl. Footballers' wives, actress Zoe Lucker, and the royal family Sue Johnston. This is such a Brilliant. 2009 story. Entertainment, a, a... entertainment included an Elvis impersonator and Sam Delaney was there. Sam Delaney was there? Yeah, he edited oh, Sam Delaney, yeah, which is what he Amazing. used to do, I believe, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's done yeah. loads of stuff. I listened to his uh, podcast, Top Flight Time Machine. And, Top uh, Flight Time Machine, yeah. Yeah, some of the some of the uh, jobs he's done over the years, brilliant. But uh, just having a little look, if you scroll down halfway near the end, there's a saucy picture of uh, Kim Marsh showing her ass. Uh, yeah, brilliant. Well into that. Wouldn't mind her coming around my ass and singing a few songs for me for my fiftieth. Mind you, saying that she'd probably be rough by the time I turn fifty, so not that not that fast. But uh, yeah, what a story. <laughs> I will come and serenade you on your 50th in a sequin dress. Oh, yeah. But you have to wear a tuxedo. Yeah, all right. I'll wear a tux. Dye my hair. Well, if I'm not already grey by then, dye my hair grey and I'll be, uh, I'll be aiming homes if you want. Yeah. Well, sounds like a plan, mate. Yeah. On I'll that. Way about. Way about the same as him, so... <laughs> On that deeply arousing note, um, do you have anything more? Uh, no, I, I don't want to lose the thought of you in a sequin dress, mate, to be honest. I don't I'm, sure no, I'm sure nobody wants <laughs> to lose that thought, so <laughs> let's end on a high. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, cheers cool. for that, mate. Thanks for listening, and thanks, Luke, as always, for joining me. Bye. Yeah, thank you very much. Cheers, guys. Bye.